the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Reverend Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to The Pastor's Table. I'm Tara Beth Leach. Last week, we got to hear the first part of Michael Palmer's story of him doing his best to live and present the gospel faithfully in the culture we find ourselves in. Now, Michael's story didn't go how he thought is in that ministry, uh, but God did prove to be faithful. So in this week's episode, Michael will continue to unpack more about the transition he went through and the ways God continued to work through his life and the difficult season. I was so blessed by this conversation. Michael is humble, thoughtful, reflective, prophetic, and pastoral. And so lean in. Thanks for joining us today. And we hope that you find the rest of Michael's story helpful as you also seek to serve faithful in ministry in the ups and the downs and the mountains and the valleys. It was my, I hope this won't sound overly romantic, but in, in speaking and acting as I did, I was doing my very best to live out the ordination charge to proclaim the gospel. Wow. And so, no, I never, I never taught outside the theology of our church. Yeah. I, never, I never broke with kind of the tradition to which I am bound. Right. So you're speaking gen generally <laughs> and vaguely on purpose so as to not be indicting of, of anyone. But I wanted to be clear that you thought, you thought and still think, and evidently the church still thinks, that there was nothing untoward in what you were saying. It just was, it just was outside the norm, the cultural norm, not the theological norm. From those that held the power. Oh, there and we I go. I think that's really important to note because there was, there was, and is a groundswell, right? Of of many pastors and Christians who are longing for the church to be the church that Jesus said we we could be. I said we can be. And you know, for someone like Michael, who I believe has the gift of prophecy. You, you've been able to see ways in which the church has, had a, has diminished that, that vision. And so you knew there was a risk, as a prophet does, and you did it anyway because the Spirit of God compelled you. So you have weathered it, evidently, or no? I am weathering it. Maybe a it. better way to say it. Maybe another way to Go say ahead. it was... Michael, how are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're out of the church. You're at best an agnostic. You're done with the with the bride of Christ, right? Yeah, not quite. How are you doing? Tara Beth asked the question. Yeah, I, I'm asking the more pastoral question. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. She wants to know how you're really doing. Yeah. The mom and me. I'm just listening to this, and I'm just like, this is so hard, and this is so heavy. Well, and now I'm just I'm like, wow, how are you doing? Okay, so so, but Terabeth 
can identify mm-hmm. here. So she's, she, she's, she has lived some of this herself. Yeah. So this is pretty close for Terabeth too. Mm-hmm. So that in, in fairness to her, yeah. right. But I, but I think, I think answering her question is really would be helpful. Yeah. How are you doing? I am, I am on the journey, right? Mm-hmm. So the outcome of that season was a season of, of three or four months of discernment through the provenient grace of God in the years prior, there had been some individuals in my life who had become steady presence for me, spiritual directors and a mentor, people that I had a very open and accountable relationship with. And out of that season came a realization that I needed to, for my own well-being, step away. So like a tangible thing, I really love to write and I love uh, to articulate the things that I'm feeling through words. And, and uh, by the way, I just finished your book over the weekend, Trenches and Tables. I, I got the that's it, name yeah. correct, right? Yeah, Trenches and Tables. And you are a very anointed and gifted writer. And so thank you. And I, I, I look forward to see that, that baby released in the world. But so, so yeah. continue on. Well, th- thank you for that. That's very kind. It was easy for years. I would have thoughts and I would work them out and I would share them. But in the wake of that season, writing became extremely difficult to the point that the only writing I could do was a sermon for Sunday. And so processing it had come to the realization that my body was telling me no, right? That Mm. I think the way one mentor kind of articulated it to me, he said, every time you write something, you get your teeth kicked in. So your body is telling you, stop getting your teeth kicked in, right? So that was one of the clearest signs that something needed to happen for me. There was anxiety. There was a lot of things that were happening. So I, I cut the cord on social media basically completely and walked away for almost two years. A lot of conversations with spiritual director therapy that continues to this day. A lot of grief work to love and give yourself to a denomination and, and in a moment where you are most vulnerable and doing what you believed that you were called to do and have violence offered back and then have your denomination do nothing and pretend as though it was not what it actually was, needs to be a source of, of grief that I haven't fully worked through. So processing how to pastor within a system that has hurt you, right? So, yeah. So the, the system has the power to do this. So you mentioned a minute ago that for your well-being, you had to leave pastoral ministry. No, I had to no. leave. I had to leave social media. You so had to leave actually, social media for your well-being. Okay, correct. that that okay, that wasn't as clear. So I needed. Yeah. Okay, and I I do really. It's important to say, through this kind of this season, my local congregation was incredibly 
supportive and kind. There were a couple, there were a couple times with a number, a couple, a couple individuals where there was some conflict, but by and large, we were loved and supported and cared for, which I think is one of the reasons why we were able to continue doing what we did, but also that I'm still here, right? That I haven't just completely left altogether. It's because that they were a loving presence, loved my kids, loved our family. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I want to really make sure to speak of them as they were, which was our local congregation was loving and kind. And so your local congregation, your local congregation kept you. Hmm. Yeah. Um, your church kept you. Yeah. Right. Not only, not only that local congregation who, who was under your charge, so to speak, not only did they form you and teach you just how to be a pastor in the best of circumstances, when it got really ugly for you, when you felt abandoned by your denomination, your local church kept you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the power of the local church. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I have a saying that's a bit of a hyperbole, but there's more tr truth to it than not. There are denominational systems, there are district systems, but there's only the local church. There's no general church. There's no district church. There's only the local church. Christ incarnates himself in the body of Christ, the local body of Christ that is at a particular place in a particular time, right? And an important part of your story is your local church tending to you. I, that is correct. Yes. That was certainly the experience that I had and experienced the holiness of the community of faith in that way. So part of me is a reserved person. I don't share a lot of my own inner experience. It's a thing I'm learning to do. Right. And one of the most beautiful acts was, was beginning to share some of that experience with the leaders of our church and the response to be seen and to be heard for that to be acknowledged and valued from other people. That was a significant moment of being reminded that I am human and, and not, you know, far off. You know, I think we need those moments of connection where we're validated and seen and our experiences seen and named for what it actually is. And you can tell yourself that that's true and it can be true, but for another human being and one who knows you so well, or a group of people who know you so well to see you and say, yes, that's real and true. That is a holy thing. And so that was certainly the experience that I had. It isn't the experience of every pastor who has a local church as their advocate. Mm -hmm. No, that's for sure. Yeah. Michael, thank you again for so much of your vulnerability. And as Mark shared, it, it does hit close to home for me, but I would imagine so many pastors. And some of the work that I have been able to do in reflecting on the last seven, eight years is is celebrating some of those beautiful moments and you've you've shared with that you've talked about where the church was for you 
and how the church cared for you tenderly. And I always love, I've listened to another podcast. I, I always love the way you talk about the church. You have such a tender, tender heart for the local church and just such a gentle, loving shepherd. And I wonder if we could also reflect in just a few moments, the, over these next few moments, is, is the presence of, of, of Christ in your wounds. We, we began this conversation with noting Mark's reflection that Jesus is, is where you are. He's at your address. And I would imagine that there's been some reflection where you've been able to see the presence of Jesus in your suffering. Yes, certainly. One of the most healing parts of this season, post-2020, when this kind of all hit the fan, and one of the things, it had, it had been a journey that I had begun before, so it didn't start at this time, but it really went deep in a way that was profoundly transformative for me. I've had two spiritual directors in my professional life, first one I ever had was an Eastern Orthodox a spiritual director. And then for the past several years, I've had a Jesuit spiritual director. And I've gone through the spiritual exercises with my spiritual director and the, the experience of doing this work and just kind of being in this spiritual companionship relationship was an invitation to begin to explore um, how I'm actually feeling within myself, within my own body, right? So mm -hmm. as pastors, we often disconnect ourselves from our work and even from our faith, right? When you professionalize the gospel, which we don't intend to do. I know, I don't know any pastor who commodifies the gospel. They, we always try our best, right? I guess there's some charlatans out there, but by and large, <laughs> it's an outcome of the complexity of ministry, right? Putting yourself in front of people, preaching each week, dedicating babies, baptizing babies, baptizing people, marrying, burying, and some leave, some stay, conflict. I mean, the whole thing, right? You end up guarding yourself. Right. And then you also compound that with just the theology we pick up along the way is not always the most helpful. And so sometimes we have a concept of God, which is not helpful. And we have been taught to doubt our own feelings, right? I don't even have a person. It wasn't within my own family who taught me this. I don't know where this concept came from, but I remember as a kid being taught, don't trust your feelings. That's what Satan does. He uses your feelings. So ignore them and just trust the Bible, right? Wow. So the process for me has been to invite Jesus into my shared felt experience as an individual person, as a beloved son of God, as a person who is delighted in by God. These are all concepts that are hard for me to internalize, but that also the experience that I have in this world is real, right? The anger, the joy, the sadness, the grief, the hope, the longing, whatever I'm experiencing, those are emotions given to me by God. And Father Chi, my spiritual director, always reminds me they they point me to something, right? They are they are revealing something within me. 
and the inviting Jesus into this felt experience has done a couple things. It's shown me the gentleness of God to be seen by God and to be loved as I am is a beautiful and complicated and wonderful thing, right? And healing in so many ways, but there's also the flip side, right? So to, to, to reveal myself fully and completely to allow the Holy spirit to work freely also reveals that this is an experience of other people as well. And as broken as I am, which I am, others are as well. And so I'm not there yet, but a compassion for others, even those who have hurt me to see them as individuals who have themselves had complicated experiences coming to where they are, who I don't know their stories. I don't know where they've been, but the process of the early process for me of beginning to see people as God is seeing me is, is a meaningful thing as well. This is where for me, Kurt Thompson work, Kurt Thompson's work has mm. been so helpful. He talks about the healing power of being known as we are. And in particular, the healing that happens when we allow ourselves to experience that, that being known by God. You know, we talk a lot as Christians and as pastors as, as knowing God. Mm-hmm. But to embrace that God knows us, celebrates us, loves us, our, our messy emotions, sees our anxiety, sees our pain, sees our wounds and our aches. And God is right there with us in the messiness, knows us. It's such, and it, it truly is a healing experience in the way that you talk about learning to let your guard down and inviting God in to those really like deep, vulnerable, intimate spaces where there's been pain, where there's been doubts, where there's, there's been questions. I mean, the, you know, so much of what you talked about, you know, reminds me of that, that dark night of the soul. And Jesus was there, right there with you. Yeah. The, so, so the priority on coming to know who God is is a form of works righteousness, believe it or not. The Bible, the New Testament talks as much about being known by God as it talks about knowing who God is. Mm-hmm. And... And the worst thing anybody will hear at the last day is, I never knew you. Hmm. To, to believe that God knows our name, that's salvific. Mm-hmm. To believe that God knows us so well that, when we talked about this last time, the hairs of our head are numbered. That's what's salvific, that God can know me as fully, fully know me, as I am, good and sinful, and still be loved by God, that's salvation. That's the grace. That's mm-hmm. what's hard to believe. That's what 
That's why we're all having a hard time with understanding ourselves as beloved, because that kind of undifferentiated love is just, that's otherworldly. But, but it's in our confession that we begin to believe that we can be known by God and still loved by God. And that's what, that's part of the journey that you're on, evidently. Yes. And I, I, I don't know if this is everyone's experience, but it's certainly been mine. The act of receiving mercy, so to be vulnerable and open completely, is not easy within a right. tradition which tends to talk a lot about holiness. And when you start talking right. about holiness, the tendency, it's not, not universal, but the tendency is to try to find ways to quali- quali- to quantify that holiness, right? I need markers to show me I'm on the right path. Right, right. Which then makes it performative, which then makes very few places where you can be honest and open. Right. And one of the, the parts of this journey, which was the most difficult and the most important for me, was not just learning to be vulnerable, but it's the question that comes almost immediately after vulnerability, which is, can I trust God? Is God good? Uh, Because if God is not good, then I can't trust God. But as we know, and, and I experienced after a lot of work, it was a long process. God is good. And God's merciful gaze on us when we are vulnerable, God's loving gaze on us when we are vulnerable is one of the most profoundly healing moments for me. Right. And I, that is not a unique, unique experience to me. Right. So I am not the only one receiving that loving gaze of God, that merciful gaze, but there are many. And so the practice of processing grief and offering mercy is the process of releasing other people and hoping for God's loving and merciful gaze for them as well. I'm not so great at that, to be really honest, but it's, it's an invitation that I want. (laughs) So the, process of grief and mercy means you're needing to recognize how you've been sinned against and yet still call to express mercy to those who did that, who, who, who hurt you profoundly, right? And you said you weren't there yet, but the direction we're heading is kind of pretty important. And you're, you, you, you said a minute ago that that's where you're heading, so that's, that's how, would, how do you interpret all that happened to you in light of God's goodness? Yeah. I, uh, maybe, maybe even some clarification on the language would be helpful. Sure, go for it. Maybe growing up, it's easier to think of concepts like forgiveness and moving through grief as like binary. You're either not dealing with it or you are or you have already right. it's in the rear view mirror right so when i say i'm 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 not there yet 
I'm maybe a better way or more precise way of saying it is I am, I am continually releasing that. And I'm, I'm allowing, I'm allowing those parts of me to be healed and it's happening, but it just takes time. How do I view it in light of God's, did you say in light of God's goodness? God's goodness. So as you reflect on your, the last five years, what, uh, how do you think of it? How, what, what, uh, how do you, how, what's the, what's the grand narrative I think the grand narrative has been, is, and always will be God's faithful presence. So looking back, I can see the sometimes overt, sometimes subtle ways in which God was present, either through maybe felt moments, but also through individuals, friendships, mentors, spiritual directors. I, I, as a, as a Wesleyan, I think the world is broken and makes choices. And I think there's an invitation by God to something more, but people don't always choose that. I, I don't always choose that. And so goodness of God is the constant invitation to return, the constant invitation to respond and to receive. And uh, knowing my own journey, that invitation, that constant invitation to return, the constant invitation to be seen, to be known, is the most beautiful manifestation of God's goodness. Yeah, God's faithful presence is sufficient. Hmm. Yes? Yes. God's faithful presence is sufficient. And so you're called to a new ministry? Yeah. uh, In St. Louis? Yeah. To help others tend to the work of God in their life, Mm -hmm. uh, allowing God to work his redemptive purposes in their life particular lives, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the call that we feel led to do is to help people to learn to sense and see and experience a God who is already there and to help them to be rooted in love and formed in wholeness and believing that that is the deepest invitation for each of us. Perfect. Thank you for today. Thank you for sharing a part of your story. How much can you share in two 30-minute podcasts for sure? But your witness to the faithfulness of God to you in all of this is profound. And uh, I'm grateful for your willingness to be with us. We're talking to pastors and We have a lot of other folk who aren't pastors listening. It's important for many people to hear pastors' stories. So again, thank you for agreeing to be a part of this podcast in the context of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So folks, if you've appreciated this podcast, be sure to subscribe. Be sure to share it. We think it will be helpful to people 
across all theological traditions. And our prayer is that you'll be blessed in the work that God has called you to do, in the work that is, after all, gift. <laughs>